Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and it's an honor to be able to spend a little time with you this morning. If you're in the room, let me hear from you. So you got an extra hour of sleep this morning. I can tell. I can feel the energy in here. And if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in as well. It's an honor to be able to open God's Word, allow Him to teach us something new today that we might become more and more the people that He wants us to be. Uh, we've been in the midst of a sermon series called Simple Prayers. Simple prayers. I've really liked this concept that there's a misconception within our culture that in order for a prayer to have any kind of effect, it's got to be like extended or grandiose or eloquent or something like that to have some kind of effect. And the truth is, all throughout the scriptures, we are given example after example after example of people who prayed very, very simple prayers, but out of those simple prayers, God did incredible things. And so this morning, our hope and desire during this series is that we would leave here each week and say, you know what? I don't have to have a prayer that's gonna impress anybody. I don't have to have a prayer that's gonna be eloquent or long-winded, but instead I can pray simple prayers and expect that God will hear them and that he will answer. So last weekend, um, I wasn't here at church because I had the chance uh, to go speak for a youth ministry at a Sumter at a camp. Um, and so I got to go for the weekend and I, I invited my oldest son to come with me. I'm like, hey Eli, you wanna come with me? We'll go spend just a day and a half away. I'll speak and stuff like that, but we'll do tons of fun stuff. It'll be really cool. And he's like, oh, no, Dad, I want to sit around and just kind of like play Xbox and stuff. Like, no, just come with me. It'll be really fun. And so I talked him into coming. So we did. So we left, and we drove to Camp Bob Cooper, and we had a great day and a half there. And we actually didn't do a whole lot of really crazy stuff. It actually being, ended up being a very simple kind of like uh, mundane weekend. So um, we hung out in the cabin that they gave. They let us stay in right on the lake right there, but it was kind of rainy and dreary, so we didn't really go outside that much. And one night, uh, I got done speaking, and we were so thirsty, so we went and did a crazy thing. We drove out in the middle of nowhere to like a dollar store and found snacks and drinks and came back and like binged on both of them. And we had, we had a fun time, but it wasn't like, you know, anything special. It was just kind of like this normal run-of-the-mill kind of experience. So we came back, and all the way home, we talked about all kinds of stuff. We talked about school and friendships. We talked about our faith. We talked about a lot of different stuff. It was a really, really great time. And so when I got home, uh, the, the best thing was my wife had written me a really sweet card. And it's this one right here. I'll save you all the gushy, mushy stuff. But she had written me a card while we were gone. It was so sweet. And on the back, I was surprised to see that Eli, since he had gotten home, like right before this, he had written a note on the back of the, of the, of the card that Jenna gave me. And so, and here's what he said. He said, I love you, Dad. Thanks for taking me to all the places with you. Thanks for teaching people about Jesus. Thanks for spoiling me and doing fun hobbies like football cards. And thanks for loving football. I love you, Eli. This thing right here, even those simple things, shows me that something that's simple doesn't mean it's insignificant. I mean, I would argue the simple things are the most significant. So whether it's taking him to all the places in general, or doing football cards together, or just in general loving football, all those things said thank you for this kind of stuff. It's simple, it's mundane but it's the kind of thing that has an incredible impact on our lives. It never fails to amaze me that almost every aspect of our life, the simplest things in life have the most impact. It's the little decisions. It's the small choices. It's the mundane opportunities. And what it's taught me is this, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's insignificant. So it's the little times that we say, hey, I love you. I want you to know that I love you. Or setting the alarm clock a little bit earlier to go on that run you don't really want to go on. Or saving that $20 rather than spending that $20. Or leaving five minutes earlier to make it to work on time. There is a reason these simple little things are significant. And they bring about great results. It's because when we do them with intentionality and consistency, as simple as they might be, 
as we take those normal and mundane times that I spend with my son, they become something special. It's the little mundane, simple things that grow intimacy within a marriage. It's these simple things that help us get healthy. It's the simple things that help us get out of debt. It's the simple things that help us be more productive in the workplace. And I believe this isn't just true for our life in general. It's, it's true for our relationship with God as well. That our relationship with God is not defined by grandiose, extended, uh, impressive prayers. But instead, our relationship with God is built on simple prayers with intentionality and consistency. It transforms our relationship to him. And so today, I want to look at a new simple prayer, and it's found in the Old Testament, and it's found in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, a little background to the passage to get a little understanding of what we're reading here. 1 Samuel opens up with a woman named Hannah who's been unable to have children. It's actually a very painful story in the very beginning of, of 1 Samuel because she's been wanting to have children, but she can't, and she's been ridiculed because of it. So she's coming to the temple, and she's praying, God, open my womb that I might have a son. And if I have a son, I will offer him to your service for all of his life. Now, the story goes that in the first two chapters that Hannah becomes pregnant. God's, God hears her prayers. She gives birth to a son, and she names him Samuel. Samuel. Now, the name Samuel in the Hebrew means God has heard. So she names her son Samuel because the prayers that she prays, God hears. So in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, it opens up with the story of this young boy who's growing up in the temple because Hannah's been true to her word. He's serving the Lord. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the boy Samuel ministered under the Lord under Eli. Solid name right there. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So verse one, Samuel is serving under this priest named Eli. Uh, Jewish historian Josephus believes that Samuel was somewhere around 12 years old. So as a young kid, maybe a middle schooler, he's basically an intern and he's aiding this priest Eli in his daily ministry in the temple. It was in the first verse, we are giving a serious problem that's taking place in Israel. And the problem is this. In those days, the word of the Lord was what? Rare. The word of the Lord didn't happen often. And there were not many visions coming from God to his people. And to the first readers of this book, this would have been alarming because the people of God had functioned almost all of their lives, all of their history, by relying on hearing from God how to live their life, to live in right relationship with him and right relationship with others. And so it's helpful to know where the timeline of this taking place. As Samuel is born, he is born at the very end, historically, at the end of the writing of the book of Judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, the book of Judges is a spiraling story of sin and disobedience. From chapter one to the very end, God's people moved further and further away from God. They would find themselves in trouble. They would cry out to God. He would rescue them. And within a few years, they would forget about God again. And they would find themselves spiraling out of control. And the problem is this. With every judge that comes, it gets worse and worse and worse. At the end of the book of Judges, it's one of the lowest times in all of Israel's history. Full of violence. Full of disobedience. Full of idolatry. And here is where Samuel is born. So for every judge that comes, they're further away from God. And Judges says it this way. They were all living their lives in a way that was right in their own eyes. They were making decisions for themselves, not listening to God. It was a spiritual drought. It was a lack of revelation. And so in the first verse, when it says that the people of God, there was no new fresh word from God. There was few visions from him. Here's why. Why? 
Because Israel had so spiraled out of control, so far from God, the revelation from God had become very, very rare. And this is the world that Samuel was born into. I think it shows us this, that revelation is actually directly correlated to our reverence. Revelation from God is directly correlated to our reverence from God. This is a biblical principle that's on display all throughout the scriptures. When the Jewish people were living in close relationship with God, he speak to them, spoke to them regularly. They heard from him often. But whenever they lived far from God, they forgot about the reverence for him. They began to live life as they wanted to in their own eyes. God became silent. And they stumbled around without direction. Now think about it this way. At my house, I have this brown box next to my house. I have two of them because my wife wanted to buy them. It's a box that you can put your hose into and then you can reel up your hose so it all fits nicely in there. Sometimes, right? Like, what a great design. Let's make a box that doesn't actually hold the hose that you're gonna reel up within there. And not only that, that box will be so light that as you turn that wheel, it will fall all over the place. And when you pull the hose out, it will fall over. It's wonderful. It's the most frustrating thing for me in, in my life. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's true. Jenna's like, but it's so helpful. It puts it all away. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It does not function properly. And so what happens is I'll go outside to grab the hose to go out to fill up our fountain or wash my truck or, you know, water something. And like every single time, and you can relate to this probably, I grab the hose and I walk on out with it and I get to the very end and I finally get to the end where I'm going to kind of do the business I'm coming for. I go to spray the hose and guess what happens? Nothing. So there's a couple problems that could possibly be happening. I'll go back and I'll check the spigot, but the spigot is open. There's water coming from the spigot. So I go back and check the end where I have the, you know, the, the nozzle on a certain spray. And I go check that. That's open too. That only means there's only one other problem that could possibly exist. What is that? There's a kink somewhere along the way. And all you have to do is open the nice little box that you have next to your house and it's twisted everywhere. It's folded everywhere. There's kinks everywhere. No wonder the flow gets cut off from the source to be able to make it to the destination. Because somewhere along the way, there's a problem. There's a kink. There's a twist. And so in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. What would it be like to live in a world where the word of the Lord was rare? Where we didn't see many visions from God? Newsflash, you live in that world. That is the world that we currently reside in. Where the word of the Lord is rare. We don't see many visions. And the reason is because just like a hose that has a kink somewhere within it, we live in a world that is full of twists and knots and folds that has broken our ability to hear from God properly. Let me say this as clear as I possibly can. Our reverence for God will and does impact our revelation from him. Our reverence for God has direct correlation to the revelation that comes from him. So your secret sin will limit your ability to hear from God. Even if nobody else knows about it, it will be a kink and a fold and a twist between the source and where it's meant to go. Your, your public disobedience will limit your ability to hear from God. Here's what it says in Isaiah 59 verse 1 through 3. It's a powerful passage that speaks to this. Here's what the writer says. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Surely his ear is not too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. 
Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. Surely God's arm's not too short to save. Surely he can do anything. Surely he can hear our prayers. But the author says, here's the problem. There's something between you and him. It's a kink. It's a fold. It's limiting the flow of revelation from God to us. So the warning in the very first verse is this. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a place where we don't hear from God. Where visions become very, very rare. Have you ever asked yourself, where is God? Where is he in all of this? Have you ever thought to yourself that perhaps God has not moved away from you, but rather you have moved away from God and placed something between you? The first thing we must always do when we approach God with the simplest of prayers is to ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that might get in the way of God's revelation to me? For me to hear from him, to receive a vision for him of who I ought to be and who he longs for me to be. You see, it's not lost on the writer of 1 Samuel that this boy in this temple, his name's Samuel, it means God has heard. And at the same time, all of Israel was not hearing for God. Samuel means God has heard, but all over Israel, they were missing out on hearing from God because they were far from him. So the story goes on then in verse 2. So you have Samuel, who's learning under Eli, this priest. The word of the Lord was rare, not many visions. And in verse two, here's what it says. One night, Eli, the priest, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. The Lord God called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. He jumps up and he runs to Eli, the priest. Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. So this 12-year-old boy goes back and lies down again. And again, the Lord calls him Samuel. And Samuel jumps up and he runs to Eli again a second time. He says, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been re revealed to him. And a third time, the Lord speaks to Samuel. He says, Samuel. And Samuel got up again and he runs to Eli and said, here I am, you called me the third time. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go back and lie down and listen to this. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he lied down in his place. So one night, the priest Eli is sleeping in the temple. Samuel is sleeping in the temple. And we're given even a closer view into what's happening here when the author says that, that Eli was becoming so old that his eyes were becoming weak he could hardly see. The author has a double meaning here. Yes, he's maybe a little more seasoned and his eyes are going bad. He, he physically can't see like he once did. But the author is also trying to say something else. Oftentimes, when the eyes are spoken of within the scriptures, it's got a double meaning. It's not just physical, it's also spiritual. So not only was Eli unable, to, Eli unable to see the physical, he was unable to see the metaphysical too. He was losing sight of the natural, but also the supernatural. And you gotta remember, Eli is a priest. He's meant to be one of the people who are leading God's people into right relationship with him and right relationship with others. And he himself has gone blind. 
He can't see like he once did. And this is where Samuel is learning about who God is. So Samuel, asleep in the temple as well, he's a 12-year-old boy, and the Bible says he's sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. It was a presence of God's, where God's presence dwelt right there. Apparently, he was not allowed to see Raiders of the Lost Ark yet. If you've seen that movie, I would never sleep by the Ark of the Covenant. But here's where he is, asleep. And as he's sleeping, he begins to hear from God. I think something that can't be missed here is his proximity, his nearness to God placed him in the right place at the right time for when God speaks. Suddenly in verse four, it says, the Lord called Samuel the first time. It's a fresh word from God. It had been a long time since the word of God had been spoken, since visions had come. And Samuel, this young boy, hears from God. So Samuel wakes up, he runs to Eli the priest. Here I am. Eli's like, it wasn't me, go back to bed. Happens three times. And the second time it says that one of the reasons Samuel didn't understand this is because he had not been revealed who the Lord was yet. You see, this 12-year-old boy had not fully understood who God was and what all this was about. This is new to Samuel. He existed in a world that had forgotten about God. And so Samuel, this young boy, was the one who was paying the price. So side note, just for a moment, adults in the room, our young people's ability to recognize and be sensitive to God in their midst begins with us. If we want our children to be able to hear the word of the Lord, to have visions from God, it has to start with us. This is why it is so important that within your family, it's a priority. This is why it's so important that we serve in kids' ministry and student ministry. It's because our young people need to know how to be sensitive to the presence of God, to hear his voice. How else will they learn if we don't do it ourselves? And so Eli says to Samuel, go back and lie down. It wasn't me. It took him three times to realize it. The priest took him three times to realize, oh, maybe it's God who's speaking to Samuel. And he's mistaking it for me every time. He says, go back and lie down. If God speaks to you again, say to him, speak for your servant is listening. So Samuel does. He goes back to lie down the third time. What's interesting to me is as Samuel hears God's voice speak to him, it's so familiar to him that he thinks it's Eli the priest every time. It's almost like it's so familiar to him. He knows this voice, but doesn't quite know who it's from. I would argue it's because the one who created Samuel, God himself, has been calling out to him from the time he was born. But it was so familiar to him, he mistook it for someone else. He, he was missing that it was God speaking. He thought it was someone else. You see, God always longs to connect with us, for us to share our heart with him, for us to hear his heart as well. But we might need a shift of perspective to be able to receive it to be able to see it so we don't mark it off as something else. When I was a kid, my parents had a, um, a poster in our living room. My mom and dad are in here, and my sister too, and so my sister's like, we'll totally get this. When we were kids, we had in our living room this um, poster that was like framed, and it was one of those posters that was just pictures, like shapes and colors. It looked like white noise if you were looking at the, at the poster in the frame. Now, anybody like my generation, you're gonna totally get this. Anybody younger? Sorry, I'll try to explain it. So what we would do is in our living room, you could get up on the couch, on the side of the couch, if you got really, really close to that picture, that poster, and you crossed your eyes, and then you slowly went backwards, 
As you slowly went back to it, all of a sudden it wasn't white noise anymore and shapes and colors. All of a sudden you would see like pop out of it this image, this thing you, that otherwise you never would have seen had you not changed your perspective. Of course, crossing eyes and getting really close and then slowly going back, that's the best way to do it. And for whatever reason, this poster in our living room, when you would do that and you would come back slowly, all of a sudden you would see a killer whale jumping out of the water. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know why we thought like this is the poster for our living room. This is the one we're gonna put in here. Classy. So, but I remember as a kid, we would do this all the time. And if I did it long enough, like if I, would, if I would practice this long enough, I could almost see it without having to do anything anymore. I could walk up where it used to look like a mess and now I could just look at it and be like, oh, there's the killer whale jumping out of the water. It's an optical illusion, but it takes a perspective shift. So I wanna share another optical illusion with you, okay? So I wanna show you a picture. You may have seen this before. Here it is. Now in this picture, there are two different ways to see this picture. So in the room, when you look at this, first thing, who sees a young woman with her face facing away from us? Okay? Now, who sees instead a more seasoned woman who's facing us? Okay, I'll show you one more picture to help clarify. Okay, here's the next one. All right, so on the left side, you can see outlined in red the face of the young woman who's facing away from us. You see it? And on the right side, outlined in red, you can see the face of the old woman who's facing us. You see it. So same picture, but with a perspective shift, you might be able to see it two different ways. And here's the cool thing about an optical illusion. When you finally see the alternate way of seeing it, you can't unsee it. You look at it and you're like, oh yeah, I don't know how I missed that before, but it's right there. How did, how did I not see that? You see, I think what's happening in the story with Samuel and with Eli is Samuel, again, is so familiar with this voice that he's writing it off as Eli the priest. And he's not recognizing that it's God speaking to him. And it takes a perspective shift from Eli, finally, to help him see, no, someone else is speaking to you here. Pay attention. Because what's happening here, it's not me. It, it must be God. If we're gonna be people who are willing to unkink the kinks in our lives, to get the things out of the way between us and God. If we're gonna be people who are willing to pray simple prayers, then we must have our head on a swivel at all times, open to see God all around us as he moves, to change our perspective, to expect God to work, to expect God to show up, to expect him to speak to you, rather than simply chalking up everything to coincidence or explaining things away. Give God his due. Give him his thanks. Recognize him when he works. I saw this quote this week and it, and it convicted me. And I'm convinced of this. As the late pastor A.W. Tozer once said, every man or woman is as close to God as he or she wants to be. Every man or woman is as close to God as he or she wants to be. What I have found to be true in my life is that God desires to be close to his people. He longs to speak to us. We often become our worst enemies when we allow sin to get in the way, to cut off the flow of revelation. When we become the kind of people who don't have our head up looking for God to be present, so we miss them altogether. And so Eli tells Samuel, go back to sleep. It wasn't me. It must be God. And if he speaks to you again, here's how you should respond. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So here's what it says in verse 10. So he goes back and lies down. 
And again, the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times. He says, Samuel, Samuel, aren't you glad that God continues to call out to us? Even when we miss it. A third time he calls out Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, just like Eli told him to, speak for your servant is listening. Speak for your servant is listening. Samuel, Samuel, this is God speaking. And Samuel sees it for the first time. And so he offers to us a powerful and yet simple prayer for our lives. One that we could pray minute by minute, hour after hour, a breath prayer as you breathe in, as you breathe out. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You see, Samuel could have said, speak, Lord, and maybe I'll get around to listening to it. Speak, Lord, but I probably know better. Speak, Lord, and I will take your words and I will twist them. No. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You see, humility is the posture of a simple prayer. Humility. And in this one prayer, Samuel offers this simple prayer, six unassuming words, but it places God in authority and it places Samuel in submission. Speak, Lord, because you have authority. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When we pray in this kind of way with intentionality and consistency, as simple as it is, it will transform our lives. Because humility recognizes that God is smarter than we are. And humility recognizes that we are so limited in our understanding and so limited in our influence, we have to have him. And so a simple prayer, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. My freshman year of college, I was living in Indiana still. I'd gone to a school about an hour and a half away from my house called Taylor University. I was an environmental bio major because I'm really smart. Just kidding. Um, but I was an environmental bio. All I wanted to do was stock lakes and ponds with fish. That was my whole goal. So I was going to school. I was playing football there for a year, and I was having a wonderful year. It was, it was excellent. And halfway through the year, for whatever reason, um, I took a class that transformed my life. It was a class called Ministry to Youth. And I thought it would be an easy A and kind of fun, and so I took it. And when I did, so clearly God began to say, this is the most important thing you could do with your life. Do this. So I decided I would. And so in the spring of my freshman year, my family decided to go on a bit of a trip down to South Carolina to visit my old youth pastor named Huli Goddard, who happened to be a professor at Columbia International University. So we came down, uh, hung out on Lake Murray, and I came and saw Columbia International University, CIU. And for the first time, I began to kind of sense God was saying, it's time to move from where you are and to come here. So I was gonna leave my family, leave football, a lot of things that I really valued at the school there, and, I, and, and follow God potentially to South Carolina. But it took some convincing. And so as a freshman in college, I still don't understand how I had the, the courage or, or boldness to begin to do this, but I started praying a really open prayer. And my prayer was really simply this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Like, if you tell me where to go, God, I'll actually do it. Like, I, I will actually follow you. So I started praying it over and over and over again. And it took a long time to get any kind of answer, but I kept praying it, kept praying it all throughout the spring semester on into the summer. I had a tough time figuring out which way money needed to go, but I was getting close to where money had to go one way or the other to decide where I was gonna go, what I was gonna do with my future. And so I prayed, prayed, prayed. There were three things that God answered specifically during these prayers that I know was God speaking. And had I not had open eyes to see it, I would have missed it. Earlier in the year, my grandparents had come to visit 
And my grandfather and I used to have this thing where he would come to visit and we would buy a hat together. So I had like University of Minnesota hats from when I was a kid, when I'd go visit in Minnesota. And we were in Lafayette, Indiana, and we went to go look for a hat, as we typically did. And so we walked into the store, and all I knew is I wanted a black hat. That's all I knew. So I'm looking around at these black hats. I wanted a fitted black hat. And I found this black hat in this hat store in Lafayette, Indiana. And it was a black uh, fitted hat. On the front, it had these red letters, USC. And on the back, it had like a, a spur, like a chicken foot on the back of it. I was like, I have no idea what this means, but it's a black hat and it's cool. And, and so I bought it. Little did I know it placed me in the place where I am now, suffering each and every weekend. <laughs> Except for last night. Okay, anyways, moving on. So, so I buy this hat and I'm wearing this hat. So it's a very cool hat. And really, it wasn't until I started kind of wrestling with what was next for my life that I began to realize this hat was the University of South Carolina. It was a place where I was beginning to wrestle with. It was for the first time I, I felt like God was saying, okay, here's a confirmation. Like, maybe you should do this. Follow me to this place. But I was like, really cool, God. That's, that can't be the answer. I gotta have more. So I kept praying, kept praying, kept praying. Well, a few weeks later, one of my best friends and I were driving through town in Lafayette and we passed this car that had some girls in it. And they were kind of cute. So when we passed them, I looked in the rear view mirror just to make sure they were safe behind us. And when I did... On the front of their car, they had this little license plate, and it was a blue license plate with a white uh, crescent moon and a, a palm tree. And I'd never seen it before. So I, I come home, and I'm talking to my mom. I'm like, Mom, I saw this thing today. Da, 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 da. I'm explaining it to her. And she's like, actually, that's the flag of South Carolina. I was like, really? <laughs> okay, real cool, God, but that can't be the answer. There's got to be more here. So I keep praying. I keep praying. And sure enough, a few weeks later, I was supposed to go on a mission trip that summer. So this is the summer after my freshman year. And within literally a day or so, I had to decide if I was going to stay at Taylor or transfer to CIU. And so I'm in my room reading this book that my youth pastor told me I was going to help lead this trip to Mexico. And she wasn't going to let me go unless I finished reading the book that everybody else had already read. So I'm like, okay, good. So the night before, I'm, I'm, I'm late into the night reading this book, trying to finish it up. And I get to this chapter, and in this chapter, there was, the writer had written these different fake letters uh, for, I forget what the point was, but they were these fake letters, and each one was signed at the end, like, lonely in Louisiana, and this and this place, and all through. And I got to the third or fourth one, and as I'm reading, I think in my head, like, wouldn't it be weird? And as I'm thinking, wouldn't it be weird? I'm reading through this letter, and I get to the end, and it says, self-sufficient in Columbia, South Carolina. I was like, okay, God. Like, I can't. There's nothing else I need. So I got up in the middle of the night, probably one in the morning, and I walked down to my mom and dad's room, and I knocked on the door. I woke them up. I'm like, uh, hey, um, I'm going to go to CIU. They're like, okay, go back to bed. <laughs> and sure enough, that was it. And after that, I decided to move to South Carolina. I knew one person here. His name was Huli Goddard. When I got here, he was on sabbatical. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But I started all fresh. And had it not been for an open prayer willing to hear from God, his confirmation over and over again, my life would have a completely different trajectory to it. I never would have met my wonderful wife. I never would have had the opportunity to serve this wonderful church. It just makes me wonder, what would happen if we began to pray prayers like this? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If you say it, I'll do it. If you lead me, I'll follow. It is such a simple prayer, but it's the most difficult posture to have, one of humility. Like what would happen if you started praying this prayer about your marriage? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You want me to apologize? I'll do it. You want me to own up to something? I'll do it. You want me to serve? I'll do it. 
Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. What if we were to pray this prayer when it came to our career, as opposed to making decisions on our own? What would make me the most money? What would make me the most influential? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What do you want me to do? In humility, God. What if we prayed this over our parenting, our friendships, the broken world around us, the, our country's leaders, our resources that we've been given? Pray, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And here's a really big question that we have to answer. Do you really wanna hear what God has to say? Because I wouldn't pray it unless you want to. Do you really want to know what God has to say? Because it might be something that offends you. It might be something that offends your ego. It might offend your politics. It might offend your comfort. It might offend your bank account. It might offend your relationships. But if we pray, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, we better be ready to hear from him. Active listening. One of my greatest joys in life right now is being able to do premarital with young couples who are getting married. Yesterday I did a marriage. It was such a, a fun time. And premarital is one of my favorite things to be able to help couples learn really important skills. And one of the greatest skills we can have is active listening. So if you're next to your spouse, just elbow them a little bit. Active listening. It means not just listening so it's your turn to talk. Active listening is listening for understanding. Listening so you might be able to respond. If we actively listen to God, not for our turn to speak about something else, but to hear from him, it would change us. So after Samuel tells God to uh, speak for his servant is listening, guess what? God does. And here's what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. It says, and then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. First of all, I hate that word. So if I say tingle, you know I mean it. God says, I'll speak to you, and the things I'm going to say to you, if those who have ears to hear it, if they hear it, it'll make their ears tingle. And what God says next is he, pre he speaks a judgment over Eli, his corrupt priesthood, his corrupt family. And Samuel gets launched into his leadership that's gonna change all of Israel and lead them into the next chapter, away from judges into something brand new. What God speaks to Samuel makes his ears tingle. And anybody who would have heard it tingle. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to hear from God in such a way that my ears tingle. It's the last time I'll say it, I promise. <laughs> I want to hear God. I want to live in close relationship to him. I don't do it well always, but the times that I do, I think to myself, why don't I do this more often? Why don't I be quiet a little more often so I can actively listen to him? Why don't I pray prayers expecting him to speak to me? Author and writer Charles Swindoll writes about finding himself um, with a lot of commitments over a very few days. And he writes that he had gotten nervous and tense about it. He was snapping at his wife. He was snapping at his children, choking down his food at mealtime. He was feeling irritated. And those unexpected interruptions throughout the day. Can anybody relate to this? This is my life story. And then he recalls, in his book, Stress Fractures, that before long, things around his home started to reflect the pattern of his hurried up style. It became unbearable. He says he distinctly remembers after supper one evening the words of his younger daughter, Colleen. She came to him and she wanted to tell him something about what had happened to her during her school day. And she began hurriedly. She says, Daddy, I want to tell you something and I'll tell you really fast. And suddenly, realizing her frustration, Swindoll answered, Honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. 
He writes, I'll never forget her answer. She said, okay, then listen slowly. Then listen slowly. What would happen if we were to be willing to listen to God and listen to him slowly? To not have the hectic busyness of life get in the way, but to pray simple prayers, to actively listen for his response. Here's what I know to be certain. God has things that he wants to say to us. God has things that he has already said. You see something to understand about the prophets? I think when we read about the prophets in the Old Testament, we're always thinking the prophets were coming with a new revelation, a new word that had never been said before. That was not the prophet's job. What the prophets did almost always were reminding God's people about what God has already said. You know why? Because they had forgotten. They had forgotten. And so the reminder for the prophets was always, remember what God has already spoken to you. I, I talk to people all the time. They're like, listen, God never speaks to me. He doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't give me direction, no audible voice, no miraculous signs. To which my response oftentimes, and often it's to myself, would be, what if he's already spoken to you? But you're not looking for it. What if he's already spoken to you and you're not seeing it? Because you need a perspective change to see God all around you. You see, God has spoken to us through his word through his world, through his son, and through his people. God has spoken. And maybe the answer we're looking for has already been given to us because God has spoken through his word. When my wife and I went on our honeymoon, we had a great student here at the church named Jonathan Wyndham. A great kid. And so we said, hey, Jonathan, would you come watch our house? And I had a dog, a black lab named Tozer at the time. A.W. Tozer, isn't that cute? So Tozer, my dog, was at the house and we said, Jonathan, would you come watch the house while we're gone? We'll be gone for a week. And you can take care of Tozer. He should be totally fine. And so uh, my wife, as she often does, wrote out a perfect list of everything he needed to know. And we had it in the kitchen on the countertop and we left it for Jonathan and we went on our vacation, went on our honeymoon. And I mean, really like hours into our, our time away, we get a phone call from Jonathan. So I answer it. He's like, hey, Trevor, um, listen, how much should I feed Tozer? I'm like, hey, bro, um, go into the kitchen. And in the kitchen, there's a, a little pad of paper right there. And we've written like everything down for you. So just go read through that and I'll tell you exactly how much to feed to. Okay, cool, man. Okay, cool. So we hang up. Sure enough, we get another phone call not long later. Say, hey, Trevor, um, after I feed Tozer, like how long till I need to put him outside? Like, well, um, go back to the note that you read a second ago. And on that note, we told you like how long and, and it gives explanation for everything. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Multiple times, Jonathan, this high school boy, would call us like, okay, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? And almost always we're like, here's the answer. It's already been given to you already written it down. I think for a lot of us, we, we have Bibles, probably more Bibles than we need. Sitting in this nice place in our house, it looks good, but we don't actually open it. We don't actually read it. Like, what, if, what if reading the Bible became a, a natural thing for us? And we would be able to have the revelation of God that's been given to us over thousands of years to help guide our life as the authority for our life. What if we actually read the Bible? Because it's not a dead document. It's the living word of God. And it's always speaking to us. Open it and read it. There have been so many times in my life where I've read God's word and God will use that living document to say something to my heart. Convict me sometimes. Inspire me sometimes. Encourage me sometimes. God has spoken through his word. But God has also spoken through his world. All around us. Like when I held my son for the very first time, my firstborn son, I think to myself, this is amazing. 
it, it taught me something about who God was and how the world worked. My wife and I, we love to go hiking. There's been vistas we've gone to and looked out over all the beauty of creation, and it's taught me something. It says something to me. You ever seen a movie when you watch that movie? You know, it's not about that. You're just trying to entertain yourself, but something happens or something's said, and you're like, oh my gosh. Like it's, when I watched the movie Up, it's a great movie. I was weeping in that movie because God was speaking to me all the way through it. Or when you drive in your van and you have that song on, all of a sudden you're weeping in your car all by yourself because that song is saying something to you. God is always speaking through his world. Do we have eyes to see it? Through his creation, do we have eyes to see it? Oftentimes, the things that we consider to be secular, we pay no attention to. But let me just let you in on something. There is nothing secular, it's all spiritual. You can't divorce one from the other. All of life is spiritual, and God is always speaking. But do we have the perspective to see it? My freshman year at Taylor, the school's motto was simply this, all truth is God's truth. And what they meant was, if you find truth somewhere in the world, wherever it comes from, it's not theirs. It's God's first. The reason we love the movies that we love, the stories that we love of heroics and and sacrifice, is because that story comes way before that book was ever written. It's a picture of Jesus, the truest thing there is. All truth is God's truth, but do we see it? Third, God has also spoken to us through his son. Through his son, Here's what it says in Colossians, that Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. If you wanna know what God looks like, look no further than the incarnation. Jesus is the full revelation of God. God saw fit for all of his fullness to dwell in him. We shouldn't be waiting around for some new revelation, for something that nobody's ever discovered in 2,000 years of, of, of history. Longer than that, in Jewish culture. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. He's the lens through which we look through to understand scripture, to understand the world. God has spoken through his son. Lastly, God has spoken through his people. God has spoken through his people. Right after college, I bought a house here in Lexington and I live with my best friend and a couple other guys in the house. And one night we had come home from Columbia and when we came inside the house, my best friend said, hey, listen, I, I, w- I wanna talk to you about something. Let's go on the back porch. I was like, okay. So we went on the back porch and my best friend looked at me and he said, listen, I, I know there's things going on. I know like in relationships and things in your life that you think nobody knows about, but I do. It's not healthy and it's a problem and you have to stop. It was the worst feeling I'd ever felt. Cut right down the middle so exposed. It felt awful, but at the same time, it felt amazing to know that someone knew everything about me and loved me enough to be able to speak into it. And for the first time in our relationship, my best friend became like a pastor to me. And he showed me something that I couldn't see myself. And I really mean this. Had I not had that conversation on the back porch of my house at that time, I would not have the marriage that I have today. I would not have the family that I have today because someone cared enough to say the hard thing to me. God has spoken to us through his people. You see, one of the problems for many of us is we have not surrounded ourselves with people who hear from God and who pray, who, who care enough to be able to speak hard things to us. Maybe you need to find somebody like that. 
and say, can we hang out? Because I, I need to hear from God. I need you to help guide me, help speak to me, to love me well, to take care of me well. You see, what if the questions that we keep asking, we're not asking in humility. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we're not recognizing that in a lot of ways, God has already spoken. But we're not listening. So here's the big question this morning. Are we listening to what God is saying? So I wanna invite you this morning, just for a moment, to sit in silence, to slow down enough that we could listen slowly to God speak to us. So if you would join me, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. God, to talk about this simple prayer is so much easier than to actually do it. My pride gets in the way. I don't have humility, I'm not living humbly. But I pray this morning, Father, for all of us that we would see this prayer as a way to open up new aspects of our relationship with God. Ways that we might be transformed to become better husbands, better fathers, better co-workers, mothers, daughters, sons. That you would transform us, God, as we would say to you, speak for your servant is listening. So we'll be silent before you, God, just for a moment. Awaken us to your presence all around us. And may we live in obedience to you. And it's in your name that we pray. And everyone together said,